everybody. This is the Gazette's Iowa Basketball Podcast, for lack of a better word. Uh, here we are on the cusp of the most interesting week of the of the season for the Hawkeyes, Nathan. Any argument there? No, no argument for me. I think at the beginning of the year, we might have looked at that being the Gonzaga game, and obviously this wasn't scheduled right away. You know, the, the Big Ten made some adjustments, but all of a sudden now it's two top four games, and it might probably the most interesting or most the toughest week rankings wise for about any team in the country. Well, just at the stage, we're recording this on Wednesday. The Hawkeyes are ranked ninth. They're at number three, Michigan Thursday night. And then they go to Ohio state, which is number four and they play them Sunday afternoon. And it's the first time that I was played back to back top five teams in eight years. And it's not the kind of thing you'd recommend unless you're doing it deep in the NCAA tournament. Two road games, especially. I mean, that it's one thing if you're playing at least one of them at home, but and, and obviously the road's a little bit different this year with no crowds. But yeah, two road games in four days against two top four teams that that's as tough as it gets. Yeah. On the other hand, if if you split. I don't think anybody has a bad word to say about you. Although, of course, if the split means you win the second game, the feelings are warmer. But if you can come back home with one and one, I, I mean, I know Iowa players wouldn't say they'd take it. But deep, deep down, maybe. I think it's a good thing that the Michigan game is first. Because if you if you do split and you happen to – the win happens to come against Michigan, that's – a signature win, the signature win that you hang your hat on because Michigan's being talked about right now is a consensus top three team getting closer to the ranks of Gonzaga and Baylor. And then if the win happens to come against Ohio State, you're right. You take that sort of – you start you, – you're feeling good about yourself heading, heading into the last week of the regular season. You say, oh, Michigan, that's a, that's a top three national championship contender that we couldn't beat on the road, so what? If, but if you win one of those games, no matter what, I think you're feeling pretty good about yourself, even as, as, you, as you said, Iowa players are obviously going to want to sweep. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't really even think about Ohio State until Friday because Michigan is all consuming. Uh, what a season they've had. I mean, my gosh, they're 11-1 and in the Big Ten, 16-1 and overall. They've looked like an 11 and one team to me. There's no fluke here. Obviously there's no fluke if you're 11 and one, but, but there, I mean, you, you watch them once and you say, okay, I get that. Have you seen much of them? Yeah, I've watched them quite a few times. I think the Ohio state game is the one where I really tried to lock in and watch, you know, all 40 minutes. I, otherwise it's like most big 10 teams where I just kind of see them here and there when I can, but. Um, and I did happen to not watch their game at Minnesota. So basically every, every time I've saw, I've seen them play this year, it, it's, it, it's hard to point out too many flaws. I mean, it, it looks like a team that's capable and is currently running away with the big 10 title, which is not obviously something we expected coming into the season. They were picked seventh in the conference in the preseason. And they talk about that, but it was a reasonable projection, wasn't it? I mean, nobody, you, you couldn't know that Hunter Dickinson was going to immediately become the force he's become. 
And they quietly picked up a couple grad transfers that I think that around the country, maybe nobody paid great attention to, but these guys are integral parts of their rotation. Yeah, it, it's a team that has a similar profile as the one that did last year. They have similar strengths and weaknesses. It's just that they're a lot better at their strengths this year. And even Michigan, I don't think, thought Dickinson was going to come in and make the impact that he did. He didn't start until their sixth game, which was their Big Ten opener. Um, and he was he was a four-star recruit, so obviously people knew that he was going to be good but he's I mean, he's ranked number 43 in the country it's not like he was one of these guys that comes into duke kentucky kansas michigan state that gets talked about like this is an nba player you've got to tune in to watch him he's gonna make an impact all the right away as a freshman I and mean, he he just kind of quietly came in and started to quickly become the guy that michigan runs a lot of runs basically a lot of its team through. And then, yeah, the, the grad transfers. I mean, Mike Smith scored a ton of points at Columbia. I think it was the nation. He was he, the nation's leading scorer maybe, or like close to it. It was the Ivy league's leading score. I think he averaged about 22 a game. So he was right up there. Yeah. He right. was up there and yeah. you know, he's and he's a leading assist guy for them. Right. He's a short, he's a short guy. And he, yeah. You know, I don't think people expected him to come. They, they look at him and say, oh, he's a scorer, but he's small. And he did that in the Ivy League. We, it's, he's probably not going to be a scorer for Michigan and really give them a lot. But he's really changed his game and adapted his game to what Michigan has needed as sort of that Xavier Simpson replacement. And he's so he's flourished. And then, yeah, Brown has been fantastic, too, coming from Wake Forest. Seems like just a couple of guys that are mature have played a lot of college basketball and at this stage in their careers just wanted to win and we're going to do anything it could, anything they could to do that. And I think they're averaging like 14 and a half points combined. So th that's been really key for Michigan too. And, and what you just touched on is such a key. Those guys are fifth year players, 21, 22 years old, and they join Isaiah Livers, Eli Brooks, those two guys have been around the block in the Big Ten. You know, uh, Franz Wagner plays like an upperclassman. You got a lot of college basketball experience in that roster on top of the freshman Dickinson. And these guys just know how to play. I mean, Livers and Brooks, I always got to be as sick of seeing them as they are of seeing Garza and Bohannon. You know, I mean, Eli Brooks averaged 19 points a game against the Hawkeyes last year. This is maybe their least touted starter, but he just knows how to play. And he played really well against Ohio State on Sunday, too. He was he was outstanding getting to the basket, shooting threes. And yeah, you're right. I mean, these guys are experienced players that know how to win and have been in a winning program. I mean, Jawan Howard last year took over and I think people had pretty low expectations for him just because he's never been a head coach and he came from the NBA ranks. And we've seen that fail at a lot of places, you know, like St. John's Vanderbilt's not working out too well right now, but he really came in and, and took what John Beeline had created there and just put his own spin on it. And they turned into the same Michigan winning program that's capable 
of going to the final four that that beeline left it in well defense is a big part of their deal and i know if you just saw michigan ohio state nothing else you'd say really because that was you know that was offensive efficiency almost to the max for both teams but michigan's defense throughout the season has been consistently good uh, I think they've allowed under 40% shooting in the Big Ten. They're uh, in the top 10 in the country in adjusted defense. Uh, Iowa, the team that's gotten ripped for its defense, their numbers have gotten a lot better in the last four games. And I'll grant you they haven't been playing against Michigan, but they played four Big Ten teams and, and defended all four pretty well, I thought. Yeah, I, I don't – it's hard to say what to make of that. You know, I I would say that I don't think the defense is as bad as it showed in that stretch before where they had lost three out of four. I don't think it's as good as they've shown in these last four games. But I think they're right around where they – right now, overall, they're ranked about where I think they are. They're not – they're definitely not a good defense they are hoping to be, I think, a mediocre defense. And that's going to be good enough with the offense they have to win. But it, it's hard to say. I, I, I don't want people to expect them to be able to show the, that same defense against Michigan because that's an elite offense. And the teams that they played over the last four games, I think we're ranked like seven. You know, Penn State was seventh, Rutgers eighth, Wisconsin ten, Michigan State twelve, and conference only adjusted offense. So it's not they're not terrible, but they're also it's also not n- by no means elite offenses. And I, I think Iowa is capable of beating Michigan. I just don't think it's going to be with lockdown defense. They just have to be decent on that end of the floor. Well. Um- and then there's always that question that when you play teams with the great guards, Iowa is up against it. Uh, Michigan's got really good guards. Ohio State's got really good guards. So to me, this week is, is a reality check. Where are you defensively when it's time to go against the best? Uh, do, you, do you think that they can squeeze enough defense in either game to do this now they're playing against a really good defense Thursday Ohio State's defense not so great they they've got a rebound like they did and they've been doing last few games especially on the defensive side I think um, the Michigan State and Penn State games were two of their four best defensive rebounding performances on the on the season so that's a big key. And then they just can't have those lapses like we saw in the first game against Ohio State where they had a double-digit lead. And Ohio State's going to score points. Like, I- I'm expecting high-scoring games in both of these games. Yeah. But they just cannot go a few minutes where Arns, the best shooter on Ohio State's team, gets three, four wide-open looks. I mean, as long as they don't allow that to happen and – these sort of 10-0, 12-2 runs from the other, other team, they, they can beat either of these teams. That's a tall ask because both of both Michigan and Ohio State are, are capable of explosive displays like we saw on Sunday. But I think that's going to be huge, especially coming down the stretch. You've, you've just got to stay within striking distance against both these teams and, and allow your offense to be in position to win. 
I'm really curious how Garza is going to do against Dickinson and against the Michigan defense. Last year, he torched him. I mean, he had 44 points at Michigan. They still lost the game, but they, but, but they basically said, uh, go ahead, Garza. We're going to cover everybody else. They got away with it. They scored 103 points themselves in that game. They came to Iowa City. Garza gets 33, and Iowa wins the game. I that was against John Teske. Now, John Teske is seven foot one, just like Dickinson. Teske's playing in the G League right now. He wasn't a bad college player, but Garza owned him. I'm really curious how he's going to do against this Dickinson. I am too, because I think Teske was a fine player, but he can't move like Dickinson can move. I mean, Dickinson is not only big, but he's quick on his feet and pretty athletic. Um, and I think, I think we're going to see a similar defensive game plan for Michigan this year, where they're just going to hope that, you know, Dickinson can hold his own against Garza and Michigan can shut down the rest of Iowa's guys. I think, you know, last year, last year in the loss, Frederick and, and Wieskamp had 13 combined points. And in Iowa's win, they had 41. And so, right, Michigan scored 103 points the first time. Like if that happens, Iowa's probably going to lose. Mm-hmm. But I think in terms of your offensive game plan, I think you, you that that's really where the key is for me. As fun as that Garza-Dickinson matchup is, is going to be to watch. And on another note, I hope that foul trouble doesn't play an issue, that this is probably the one game where I, where I wouldn't want the foul out rule because I just want to see those guys go head-to-head on every possession. But I think Frederick – coming off that game that he had against Penn state was kind of a little bit of an underrated storyline. I'm certainly not expecting him to be able to be back to 100% every game this week, just because he had a a nice game against Penn state. He's clearly probably still dealing with some, some injury problems, but I think that that's another big key coming into this one. Here's something about Frederick and I haven't made it maybe a big enough deal about this. I did write about it couple of weeks ago he has not committed a turnover in big 10 play 12 uh, he's played in 12 of the 16 games zero turnovers and he's only made four all season his last one was against Gonzaga before Christmas that's insane I mean even the best ball handlers have turnovers and now I realize he doesn't have the ball in his hands a lot compared to say a point guard but you're, play, you're out there. You're playing 20, 25, 30 minutes, and you're not turning the ball over ever. Tell me that doesn't make an enormous difference. But yeah, it's huge. I mean, when people look at, at Iowa as having the top offense in the country, I mean, obviously part of that is you have an incredible scorer in Luka Garza, the best in the country. You have excellent shooters all around him. But a huge part of the offensive efficiency is getting enough shots up in the first place and if you're not turning the ball over you're getting shots up and if you if you've got a guard that is not only a capable three-point shooter but takes care of the ball makes good entry passes to the the best score in the country that is just such a huge component of what Iowa is doing and it is it is incredible. I mean to have that that's that streak is almost more impressive than like some of these free throw streaks we've been seeing from the from the team the last couple of years. I mean, to not turn the ball over and yeah, he 
he only uses like 13% of Iowa's possessions. So he's probably not going to turn out, turn it over a lot anyway, but to have zero is just, mm-hmm. you would think at some point he would just lose the ball off his foot or yeah. give a charge or something, but he's, he's just so sure handed. He doesn't, but it's just incredible. There are so many ways to turn the ball over. Yeah. An offensive foul. Uh, uh, you know, even sometimes it's not your fault. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm a big Jawan Howard fan. I always have been. I, I liked him when he played at Michigan. He was like a steadying influence and a really talented player on the Fab Five. He had a, a long, I mean, a super long NBA career. Uh a player who gained respect the longer he played. Michael Jordan raved about him as a player. And then he, he sits on the bench with the Miami Heat for four or five years in a, as an assistant coach. Bayline leaves for the NBA. And voila, Juwan Howard's Michigan's coach. And, and it was kind of a – there were a lot of Michigan people who wanted it, but there were a lot of others who said, are we sure about this? And last year they got off to a great start. But then they tailed off. They were 10 and 10 in the Big Ten. This year, there's been no tailing off. And the things I read and hear from Michigan players talking about Howard is they say he's a, a terrific coach. And, you know, of course, what players aren't going to come out and say, we're winning despite this guy. But, but they specifically say, and Hunter Dickinson has said this, but others too, about how much he's, he – uh, makes them better players through teaching. Uh, and another thing is he brought aboard Phil Martelli, who got fired after a long career coaching in Philadelphia, St. Joseph's, I believe. Martelli's like this bench guy. Howard was secure enough to say, I'm bringing in a, a guy who's been a head coach forever. And, uh, there are a lot of head coaches who aren't secure enough to do that. Howard said, love to have this guy there. And I guess he's been directly responsible for a lot of things too. Is this a dynasty in the making? Because they put out the McDonald's all America rosters yesterday. They're not going to have an actual game for the second straight year because of the pandemic, but they named the teams 24 players. Michigan is the only team in the country that's got three of them signed. They have the number one recruiting class in the country right now. This isn't a good thing for the rest of the Big Ten. And so, I mean, guys want to come to Ann Arbor and play for this guy. I I think we're looking at the next Big Ten powerhouse. Michigan is a basketball school right now. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what fans, you know, think about that, but the evidence is clear. And I think when, when Beeline was there, maybe we didn't really talk about the, the dynasty type thing, but they went to a couple final fours and they were, they were clearly in the upper echelon of the big 10, which they weren't when he took over. I think, I think right around when him and Fran both, came in both of those programs were in the bottom half of the big 10 but now i think what when beeline left and and jawan howard was hired there was some skepticism because like you said what what we've seen from a lot of these 
coaches that come in from the NBA that don't have much head coaching experience is that they, they kind of rely on their brand names a little bit and are hoping to just kind of get the best recruits. And I'm not saying they're necessarily bad coaches, but at a lot of places it hasn't really worked out. But what we saw from right from Juwan Howard's first press conference at Michigan is that he cares about that place. He was in tears about how much Michigan means to him. And I know sort of winning the press conference is pretty overrated, doesn't really mean a lot, but that was a sign right there. And then hiring Martelli, showing that he's not afraid to bring in a guy with more experience than him. He wants to win at Michigan, and it's not because he – it's not necessarily because he wants to be the star. It's because he cares about that place, and he wants it to be like when he was playing there. And, yeah, they have the top-ranked recruiting class coming in. They have clearly shown to be a Final Four, if not national championship contender this year. I'm not going to make any proclamations about Michigan State because they have some elite talent coming in down the road, too and this is just one off year for them. But it wouldn't surprise me in a few years if we're talking about Michigan being the program in the Big Ten. I'm going to switch courses here. Coming into this podcast, I thought an interesting topic would be, can you make a case for Io DeSumo of Illinois as the player of the year? And I know that that will rankle the Hawkeye fans listening to this, I thought you could make a pretty good case for it. Last night, they go to Michigan State and get beat. He goes six of 18. And I'm not saying that that, you know, cemented Garza getting it, because I think Garza's going to get it all along. But it's pretty hard. If the season had uh, started with nobody knowing who Garza or Desumu were, would Desumu be the favorite? I think potentially. What I would say is that the the reason that, or the reason I see him kind of getting more into the the conversation, and yes, he deserves to be right, you know, second or third place in, in this vote, all along but I think a big reason why he's in this conversation is that Illinois had won seven straight games and we're getting into the time where college basketball is becoming a much bigger part of that the national sports conversation so you see a team like Illinois that had high expectations coming into the season has won seven straight games keeps climbing in the national rankings they were up to number five the last couple of weeks and you look at the guy that has contributed most to that winning has been Desumu. And like I said last week, a lot of that is because he's made some of those Heisman moments, so to say. He's won them games down the stretch when they've needed him. If, if, neither, if, if we didn't know about any of these guys coming into the season, I still think Garza would be the favorite just because of the sheer numbers he's putting up. I mean, I, I think that the... That you, you can say what you want about Ken Palm National Player of the Year standings, but to me, that's a pretty bias-free metric, and Garza is clearly number one in that, and Desumu is actually number three behind uh, Drew Timmy right now. The funny thing about the Michigan State game is that it was not a good performance for Desumu, but Garza had eight points at Michigan State. Yeah. The, difference, uh, the difference, obviously, is that Iowa they won by 30. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
<laughs> that that that's that obviously is a difference. I just think it's kind of funny, but I, I think Garza would, would be the guy. I mean, you look at the the counting stats are pretty close right now. Uh, the advanced metrics, I think Garza has a, a slight edge and that a better offensive rating. He uses more possessions than Desumu does, and Iowa does have a number two guy in Wieskamp like Desumu has in Coburn. But I think Garza is just such a versatile player. And yes, he obviously does a lot of work in the post, but he's also a good three-point shooter. He's He has better three-point shooting stats than Io does right now. And yeah. clearly Io is going to shoot more because he has the ball in his hands and creates offense like that more. But I, I think when you just look at the whole picture, I think Garza would, would still have it. Well, it, it tells you what kind of season it is when a, a guard – is third in the league in scoring, second in the league in assists, and he's not going to be the league's player of the year, you know? Uh, I'll offer this. What if Iowa this week goes to Michigan and Ohio State, doesn't look good, Garza doesn't do anything special. Suddenly Iowa drops down in the standings and two high-profile games, they don't get the job done. Does anything change? I, I mean, it's totally fair to wonder. I, and I know you wouldn't either certainly predict Garza to not play very well in those games, but it's possible. <laughs> I think I, it's, it's hard for me to see Iowa falling too badly in the, in the national rankings because they're, they're playing teams that are ranked higher than them on the road. But if they did kind of, if people looked at those games and said Iowa is not a national championship, not even a final four contender based on how they play in these two games, if they kind of fall into closer to the middle of the big 10 than the top, then possibly people start to think about Dasumu a little bit more, but yeah, I think, I think Garza would have to play poorly in both of those games, not just Iowa losing. Here's something that I hate. Uh, fans of both players, both teams looking for negatives to find about the other one. These are two great players, two great college basketball players doing tremendous things. Dasumu gets a triple-double at Minnesota, and I hear Iowa fans saying, yeah, they left him in in a blowout. Uh, Garza do, does few things Big Ten players have done in decades. And it's always, what about his, he can't defend, he can't defend, which isn't true, by the way. I mean, he's not a, he's not a defensive player of the year, but he's not a stiff either. Uh, why can't you just say these are two great players, we like our guy better? Well, I mean, why is everything in this life now, it seems like, not only just we're right, but you suck, <laughs> you know? I mean... <laughs> Can't you have a little respect for the other guy? Or is that just a sports thing? I don't know. I think it's the nature of sports now. I mean, it would be nice if this argument, because the argument's going to happen either way. Both both fan bases ultimately just want to see their guy get the, the top award. And it happens. It's happening a little bit on the on the women's side, too, with people arguing that Caitlin Clark should be freshman in the year over Paige Beckers. And you have... UConn and national people saying, well, she plays for the best team in the country and Clark's team isn't that good. And you have Iowa people saying, well, yeah, Clark 
has to have Clark ha- is playing has the ball way more and Beckers can rely on her teammates more because she plays for the best program in the country. Mm-hmm. It's it, it, it's turned into it, it's just not going to be one of those things where for some reason people don't argue for their players more for the for what they're doing. They have to find the flaws in, in other guys, too. And it, it happens in the national debates, too. I mean, I, I know it's kind of cliche at this point, but to look at people arguing MJ versus LeBron, it's it's never about, well, I mean, part of it is, but it's not not as much about how amazing both those guys are. It's always right. people pointing out the flaws. Well, MJ sure, played in the 90s and LeBron is soft. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's just the nature of it. it it's not fun, but it's I don't think there's it's going to change um the big 10 situation now it looks like unless Michigan does decides it's you know gonna yank five kids off the intramural teams and go the rest of the way with them Michigan I think is going to win this conference but everything else is kind of in flux I mean I can see Iowa with a great week getting into a second place tie. And I can see Purdue passing it, passing the Hawkeyes, if certain things play out. Uh, the scenarios are multiple, but looking at the schedules is why I say this. Purdue's at 10 and 6 and in fifth place. But but I think if I've got this right, they're going to play a 19-game schedule. Uh, and they're at Penn State tonight at home against Wisconsin and Indiana. To me, those are all winnable games, and there's not a gimme in the bunch. Uh, we know what Iowa's got. Besides these two road games, they've still got Nebraska and Wisconsin at home. They're going to beat Nebraska, but you can't overlook Wisconsin. I don't care what you saw in Madison last week. Okay. Then there's Ohio State and Illinois, which are above Iowa right now. And Illinois. All right, Illinois got Nebraska at home, but it closes the season. Uh, see if I've got this right. I don't know in which order, but Wisconsin, Michigan, and Ohio State. Illinois is the right order. They go to all three for their last three games. And Ohio State, you know, needs to beat Iowa to be confident of finishing ahead of the Hawkeyes. Uh, I, I think Iowa's going to be a top four team. But but nothing is set in stone right now, in my opinion. And Ohio State has to go to Michigan State on Thursday, which is suddenly <laughs> on the rise. Uh, Illinois just got handled there. So it, there there is nothing set in stone. Um, I think the uh, Bart Torvik's website, which is another good college basketball analytics site, had Iowa's 80% to finish in the top four, which – part of me was a little surprised to see it that high based on Iowa playing Michigan and Ohio state. And like you said, Wisconsin's far from a gimme, but yeah, all these other teams have tough games too. Nobody's really playing Nebraska Northwest. Um, well, like, you know, it's not like they have three straight games against yeah. Penn state, Northwestern, Nebraska, Minnesota, or anything like that. So I could see either of these teams slipping either of these teams jumping into that clear second place. Somebody's going to have to. And you're right. Everything, everything is there to play for, except for the conference championship, in my opinion. Uh, when it comes to tiebreakers, 
I know Iowa wouldn't have it with Illinois. If it beats Ohio State, they've split against each other. And uh, then it gets kind of murky to me. Um, I don't Maybe you know. Yeah, then, then I think they go to the record versus the team highest in the standings and then on down. So a win versus Michigan would, would uh, give Iowa a tie break in that case if they split with Ohio State. But maybe we're not even talking about needing to, t- <clears throat> needing to tie if they win that game. Mm-hmm. But then I think – so Iowa – Iowa would be hurt in a situation if like Indiana jumped up, but Ohio state's Oh, two against Purdue. So that's helpful. If, if Purdue is, in, is right there then, and it gets to that point, then I think Iowa's win over Purdue can make a difference there. Well, let's get out of this numbers <laughs> swamp. A lot's going to change in a week. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it starts tomorrow night in Ann Arbor. And, and so you've been nailing these games pretty well the last couple weeks how do you think Iowa does on this trip and it's two trips by the way they're going to go back and forth and back and forth I think Iowa is going to split I I think they're going to if I I I think they're going to split but I, I couldn't tell you I'm confident about like either game or like making certain predictions it's just a gut feeling that I think they beat Michigan and lose to Ohio State. That's probably not a prediction many people are willing to make. It's just a kind of a feeling that I have. Michigan, if you their their one loss came to Minnesota on the road, and that was a few days after they blew out Wisconsin and what was then viewed as like their marquee game of the season because Wisconsin was still a top ten team at that point. I think that sort of like letdown thing is talked up more than it actually matters. But I'm just going to play the trend and say Michigan, you know, gets a little let down and, and falls to, to an Iowa team that's hot and confident coming into this one. And then for the Ohio State game, I'll just say it's a bad matchup for Iowa. It's two elite offenses. And I, I, I would – I'll just give Ohio State the nod to outscore them in that one. Michigan's got to hit a little patch of ice at some point, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, the, I – we were talking about this when we were talking about the strengths of the conferences and how we didn't want to think Gonzaga or Baylor would go undefeated in the Big Ten. You would think Michigan would not finish with one loss either. Yeah, I mean, if before the season you said that any team had a even a, a, a semi-decent chance of going 19-1, and one, well, Michigan won't because it doesn't play 20 games, but one loss, it's like, no, that's that's not going to happen. I, I, I like, I mean, Michigan against Ohio State, Ohio State doesn't have the great center to contend with Dickinson, and it showed. Dickinson had his way with them in the second half, was dominant, the player of the game. I don't see him doing that against Iowa. I, mean, I certainly see him competing and, 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 you know, matching up, but I don't see Hunter Dickinson as being the force in who wins or loses this game yeah he's had some some off games but I think it is notable in that Minnesota game he had nine points five rebounds five turnovers and Robbins was the player of the game for Minnesota he had 22 points eight rebounds Hmm. so I that that's another one of those little trends where I'm thinking maybe if Dickinson struggles a little bit and Garza really puts it to him and Iowa's guards obviously play well then 
that that that's a recipe for winning against Michigan. Well, we'll have a lot to talk about again next week. Uh, I am going to live on the road, Michigan and Ohio in winter. This is the life, <laughs> especially it's during the pandemic. It's not as cold as last week, though. At least, oh, right? No. no, no. I can at least go for walks with a mask on. Are you one of those people that has certain restaurants on your list and big? No, oh no, no. I mean, look, uh, I I have been the master of finding out what the best local pizzeria is that delivers to hotels. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm I'm a very cautious man when it comes to the the pandemic and and mm-hmm. knock on wood, I haven't even caught a cold this winter, so that's a streak I wouldn't mind continuing. Well, I had a nasty sore throat the last few days, and I'm just on the mend today. So hopefully that that bad luck stays away from you. Well, good luck to you with that. Good luck to everybody out there with their own health. And thank you for watching, for listening. And uh, we will see you again soon.